0: Tonight we're gonna be starting chapters eight and nine. It's probably gonna take us two class periods. In fact I know it's gonna take us two class periods to get through these two chapters. Hello there. Okay, so I don't have to I don't have to run around with a microphone and so that okay, good. Yeah, Tracy was listening to us on, on the internet and she said, I can't hear when the audience says something. So when someone says something, grab a microphone and go stick it up there to them so I can hear what they're saying. Now I won't have to do that. Good. So we'll try to get through with chapters 8 and 9 this week and next week. And then the following week, hopefully we'll be able to watch our archaeological video. Now, that archaeological video is only 480p. I don't know what it's going to look like zoomed way big on these screens. I hope it's not so grainy that we can't see it. Okay, let's get through with the Ark of the Covenant. How about it? Sound good to y'all? I'm kind of tired of talking about the Ark. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? Okay. The final installment is, it's in Ethiopia. I'm sure y'all have heard this. So I'm not going to spend a great deal of time talking about it because all of this is on the internet. You can read it for yourself. Some people believe that the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. In fact, there are people in Ethiopia who claim it is in Ethiopia. There is an ancient Ethiopian history book called... I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. It it translates the book of the kings or the glory of the kings. Supposedly this book documents King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba having a son together. The, The son's name is Menelik. It is said that Menelik came to Jerusalem to visit King Solomon when he was, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 years old and Solomon sent back with him a replica an exact replica of the ark now ethiopian tradition says that menelik tricked his father the, the most wise man in the world tricked his father and he actually took back the real ark not the not the replica apparently he used the ark menelik used the ark to win some fights win some battles but he realized it was it was just too powerful to keep. So he stored it in a lake, in an isolated island on Lake Tana. You'll see that in the upper left-hand corner of the map here. And on that island, there were 30 monks who took care of it. Now... They claim to have many other religious artifacts there too, but they no longer claim to have the Ark. Apparently, when Christianity came to this area, they moved the Ark from Lake Tanna up to Axum, near or inside this church, Our Lady Mary of Zion Church. And apparently only one priest was allowed to actually go into that shrine. No one else was allowed to go in. No one else was allowed to see it. So when they claim to have it, there's no proof because no one's allowed to go in and look at it. There's also another... Let's see. I got my slides out of order. No, I don't. There's also another, another theory, another... Report came out that said in 1992. A report came out that said that in World War II, a Nazi German soldier actually made his way into this church building and said that he actually saw it. He actually saw what they claimed to be the Ark, but he said it was not terribly impressive and he declared it to be a fake. So, is it there? probably not. This is the weirdest story of all of them. So I I don't I don't put much faith at all in these. And this story gets crazier. You know who the Venda people are? You all heard of the Venda people in Zimbabwe? Well, according to these people, they have the ark or at least what's left of it. They say that the ark is actually a drum now. They transported it from Jerusalem, all the way down to the southern coast of South Africa to Zimbabwe. Um, along their journey, they did set up, a, set up a city in the ancient city of Sana, S A N A apostrophe A. And there's actually been some archaeological digs there and they found some Jewish relics there. So apparently they were telling the truth. They actually did come this way. Whether they actually had the Ark or not is, to be, is still to be seen. They claimed that along the way that the Ark started disintegrating on their, on, their, on their journeys. And so it basically fell apart on them. So they took the pieces that was left over and made a drum... And do I have a picture of that drone? There. That drum right there is, is what they claim it is. And this is supposed to be in the Zimbabwe... Some, some Zimbabwe... Zimbabwe Museum of, of Human Science is where this is supposed to be stored so you can actually go there and see it if you really want to. But they traveled through Ethiopia. They traveled from Yemen through Ethiopia all the way down to, to, to Zimbabwe... Now, the Zimbabwe people said that the Ark of the Covenant started disintegrating. It started falling apart. So they took the pieces and built that drum with it. They claimed that it still had its power. They were able to make their way all the way to South Africa and do battles along the way and they would win all the battles that they participated in. But my question is, if the Ark of the Covenant fell apart, then it must not have much power to help them win their battle. So that, that sounds a little contradictory to me. But anyway, they claim they have it down there. Do you, did, did y'all get a chance to, uh, <clears throat> to go back and listen to Carrie Waddell's Bible class about the Cohens? Because the report is that, that these people, these, these Vinda folks, had a DNA test run and they have supposedly proven that they are descendants of the Cohens in, in Israel. The Cohens, of course, were the people who, were, who took care of the temple and the tabernacle. They are the people who, um, actually the temple, I guess, took care of the temple. I believe they may have even been priests. But supposedly a DNA test has proven that they really are Jewish. They really are Israelites. They're what? They, they supposedly are able to trace their lineage back to Aaron, the brother of Moses, they say. They say. If you want to trust. I don't know how they got Aaron's DNA to test it. I don't know. But anyway, they claim it's there. Um, I don't have this in my notes. I just remember reading it. There was a... An explorer, uh, I don't know his name. I don't remember where he's from. In in that er- that green area is where the Venda people supposed to live are supposedly living now. There is a cave on a mountain overlooking their village, their city. And an explorer came up there and got permission to go up and look in this cave. And he said, in that cave. There was a box, but that, that, that's no big deal. He said he saw two golden cherubims laying on the ground. He said he took a picture of them and stored it on his laptop computer, but when he got home, his laptop wasn't in his luggage. It got stolen. And now, people who go back to here are not allowed to go in that cave to look again. So, is it there? Probably not. So, question is, where is it? Is writers of the Lost Ark, is, is it true? In, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, it says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in His temple the ark of His testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hell. So, where does the book of Revelation say the Ark of the Covenant is, it says it's in heaven. But my question is, did God have to destroy the temple so that He could have an Ark of the Covenant in heaven? Did He have to destroy the temple in Jerusalem so He could have an altar that's been mentioned already in Revelation and we'll see again in chapter Chapter 9. According to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, the things here on earth are a type or a shadow of things in heaven. Revelation, we're going to find out later in Revelation that nothing man made is allowed in heaven. So is the Ark of the Covenant in heaven? No, not the one we think of, not the physical one. Can't be the same one, it's not possible. So, where's the Ark? Nobody knows. Now, I've heard people say, God has, has surely destroyed that thing by now so that no one would ever find it or, or so that no one would ever worship it again. That's an interesting theory. I don't know if you can prove it or not, though. So where is the ark? We do not know. have no idea where it is. Even though the book of Revelation says the ark is in heaven... Not the physical one, not the one that was built here. God doesn't need us to build him stuff for heaven. The point is this the ark was not a magic box to begin with. And if it could be found as it was, it would be a new box. That's right. God's
1: power is no
0: longer there. And what gave that box its power? God being in it. Yeah. So even if we find it, it's going to be. It's going to be powerless. But I tell you something else. If you do find that thing, I wouldn't tell anybody if I were you. Seriously, if you find the ark and you tell some, and you're able to prove to somebody that you've got the ark, you're going to be dead within 24 hours. I guarantee you. Every nation on earth would like to have that thing, and they would kill anybody they have to to get it. So, if you find it, just sit on it. Don't tell anybody. And I'll tell you, the first people that come after you is probably the nation of Israel. Their their government military will probably be the first to come after you. Any comments about the ark? I'm done with the ark. I'm tired of thinking about the ark. Any, Any comments on it? Anybody? Does it still exist? Probably not. But I can't prove it. I don't think anyone can. Okay, I um, actually I'm going to be flipping between slides here. Before we read, before we read chapters eight and nine. By the way, chapters eight and nine are the two most difficult chapters in the Book of Revelation. And you're going to be left kind of frustrated like I am with those two chapters because you want to put your finger on something, but you just can't find where to put your finger on it. And that's going to be a frustration we're going to be going through for the next two weeks. Before we cover that, though, I want to, I want to answer a question again that was asked last week, and I'm not sure I'm going to do a better, a better job. This week, uh, the answer is going to be the same, but I want to give you a little bit more information so that you can download this and you can research it yourself and then you can tell me the answer because I don't know, I know the answer to this. Now the question was, are descriptions in heaven literal or figurative in Revelation? Now that's actually a loaded question because... Well, I'll show you here in a minute. In Revelation, heaven means several different things. I believe the question was actually, when we see the dwelling place of God, are the descriptions of the dwelling place of God, are they literal or are they just figurative? And the best I can answer that is, I take them at face value. I can't prove that they are that way, and I cannot prove that they are not that way. Does God have an altar in heaven? Apparently... Is the Ark of the Covenant in heaven? Does God have an Ark of the Covenant in heaven? Apparently. Does God have a temple or a tabernacle in heaven? It looks like it, yes. But we're, we're getting a spiritual description in human terms. And when, when that happens, when that translation happens, you never really know what to do with it. When it comes to heaven, the dwelling place of God, if there is a description of it... I accept it for what it says and I can't prove it but I still accept it for what it says now heaven in the book of Revelation means two different, two different things one is a dwelling place of God the other meaning is this it's the sky or the universe anything above the earth um when you start talking about things taking place in the sky, let's see, above the earth, in the atmosphere, where the stars are, and then the universe itself. In the book of Revelation, that is usually that is usually figurative. Figurative or symbolic. Rarely is it, is it literal. When it comes to heaven though, uh, I take it literally. I, I don't know how else to take that. Uh, from, from heavens, you've got fire falling into the earth, you got stars falling into the earth, sun darkened, the moon darkened, stars darkened, winds winds are all held back. The problem is, okay, well there's the four meanings of heaven, we've already covered that. The problem is the word heaven in the book of Revelation comes from six different Greek words. And you say, oh, well that's simple, let's just, let's just look at each individual Greek word that's translated heaven, and let's see what it says about each one of those, and we'll be able to figure out which Greek word is heaven, the dwelling place of God, and which is just the sky or the universe or the stars. Now, Strong's Concordance makes this even more difficult for us because when you click, when you go to BibleHub.com and you click on any one of these words heaven, it always goes to the same reference. It's referenced 3772, same Greek word. It doesn't matter which spelling it is. It always goes back to the same Greek uh, root word, which is O-U-R-A-N. So that doesn't really help us much. If you go and look at each individual Greek word and what is said about it, sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not. Um, O-U-R-A-N-O-N, you have like power to shut the sky so that it does not rain. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, which by the way is a very interesting, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's interesting that that is associated with a Greek word that doesn't appear to have any association with heaven itself, the dwelling place of God. We're going to hit that when we get to chapter 21. Um... O-u- O-U-R-A-N-O-S. Uh, the heaven departed as a scroll, one sitting on the throne whose, from whose face the earth and heaven fled. Uh, the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. That looks more like the sky or the universe as opposed to where God exists. It, it's the same way all the, way all the way down. Now this word, you've got God of heaven. That may or may not be the dwelling place of God. You've got the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, coming out of the sky. There is one, this it's this word, O-U-R-A-N-O. This one seems to have the most occurrences of what may be the dwelling place of God. God in heaven, there was a war in heaven. That's literal, that's literal heaven, the dwelling place of God. That's chapter 12. Uh, God in heaven silence in heaven for a half hour that's in revelation chapter 8 that could be sky that could be in heaven I don't know every creature in heaven and on earth I don't know you see it's it's not it's not as as cut dry as you would think it would be so this I'm going to make this these charts available to you this week on on the website on the Revelation website. And go study those words. It took me it took me three tries just to get what I what I just showed you. That's how complicated it was. I don't know what Greek word is used to mean the abode, the dwelling place of God. So it's 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 basically you gotta basically Rely on the context of the, of the of the verse that's being read. I don't I don't know of a of a better of a better answer than that. That's that is confusing. Usually Greek solves a lot of problems for us. This just may this just muddies the water to me because it it just isn't isn't clear cut to me. So if somebody take that and study it, and I'll give you five or ten minutes whenever you get it figured out, and you come explain it to the rest of us because I don't know. For the most part, you're going to have to go by the context of the book of Revelation, the context of the verse, and and go with that. Okay, let's get started on the two most difficult chapters in the book of Revelation. Brother Glenn, will you please read 8 and 9 for us, please.
1: When he opened the Sabbath seal... There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. To the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the mist of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of the God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tail. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abdagon, Abdagon, But in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, And out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts.
0: Okay, who wants to explain that? Chapter eight and nine are the most difficult chapters in the book of Revelation. Chapter nine, the end of chapter nine, actually tells us what's going on in these two chapters, and it's still hard. It's still next to impossible because you have a tendency to want to interpret a symbol and put your finger on. Oh yeah, that's what that means. You, you're not going to be doing that with chapter eight and nine. With chapters eight and nine, not like we did with chapter six for sure. But let's go through it and, and make some observations, and then you can take this information and, and study it yourself and, and see what you can come up with. Now, when you translate, when you interpret these symbols, don't forget, you've got to be consistent with the time frame of the book of Revelation as well as all the chapters. Now, we can go through and we can say, ooh, this looks like the BP oil spill. We'll get to that next week. That's not the time frame of the book of Revelation. Folks, sorry. Sorry, pre-millennialists. That, that uh That interpretation is down the toilet. Oh, we're not supposed to say toilet. Down the sink drain. Okay. That being said, though, there are some interesting observations that we can make concerning these two chapters. Let's go through some of them. In the first, I think the first class we talked about the book of Revelation is laid out like a story. And it even has a 30 minute intermission. The 30 minute intermission that just occurred in in Revelation chapter 8 verse 1. So now, this is our wake up call after our 30 minute rest. One interesting observation is this altar that's in That's in heaven. Chapter 8, verses 3 and 5, it says, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and there was given to him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints up on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it onto the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes. What's the difference between this altar between what's the difference in this altar between these two these two verses nothing it's the same altar you have an altar in one verse being used to worship God and you have the altar in this, in the next verse actually punishing evil you've got the same altar doing two different things now when we get to chapter 9 we're going to see an interesting characteristic of the altar that's going to take you back to the Old Testament and make you you test your your knowledge of some of the history from the Old Testament. The altar is part of God's wrath and it's part part of His worship as well. Now this deal about wormwood, the, the, the word wormwood actually appears 25 times in the Bible. 25 times in 10 verses. So in the Old Testament as well, so this is no stranger to the Bible. This plant is poisonous and very bitter. Uh, the leaves cannot be eaten. In fact, if you take a leaf and rub it on your, on your skin and some of the oil from the leaf gets on your skin, it will actually burn your skin. Eating the plant is, will cause a disruption in your central nervous system. And if you eat a large enough quantity, it will kill you. The fact that it does affect your central nervous system, though, does give it some medicinal qualities. Does wormwood represent the Bible? Does Re- wormwood represent the gospel? Does it represent the word of God? The answer is no. This isn't the place in Revelation where the concept of bitter represents the word of God. That's going to come I think in chapter 10, but that that's not here. That's not this chapter. Does wormwood represent Satan? Luke chapter 10 verse 18 and he Jesus said to them I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven Even though this is a star falling from the skies we don't know if it's heaven or just the skies I'll assume it's the skies It probably is not Satan because Satan makes his appearance towards the end of chapter 9 and they're not going to you you don't see the same the same identity used in two different seals or two different, um, different angels blowing their trumpets. So probably not. So you have angels one through four. You've got angel one, when he sounds his horn, you've got hell and fire mixed with blood. Second one, you have a burning mountain cast into the sea third one you have great stars falling on rivers the wormwood that makes them bitter and death came as a result of drinking the water and then you have the fourth one where the sun, moon and stars were darkened in a little while or next week we'll list all seven of these angels together and you'll see see a pattern then but do you by chance see a pattern here angels 1, 2, 3 and 4 We won't talk about it. I just want you to take a closer look at it just to see if you see a pattern. The trees and grass are burned. Seas turned to blood. Water became bitter. And a third of the light became dark. I'm not going to spend any time on that one. That's, That's the angel saying, all these catastrophes occurring... You haven't seen anything yet. So chapter 9. Chapter 9, we have angels 5 and 6. Angel 5, we have the stars falling from heaven. You have the star having the key to the bottomless pit. You have the armies getting ready to make war. And in Revelation chapter 11, we'll have the kingdom pronounced. That's, that's, that's going to be angel number 7. You've got God preparing His final judgment of the villain of the book of Revelation. We're going through these pretty fast. Let's go and do this now. Here's, the, here's all seven of them. Forget about number seven. That's going, to be, that's going to be in chapter 11. You see a pattern in those first four? Of what? That's one of them. Keep going. You're on the white track. You're answering all around it. You're close. You're you're very close. The first one is the vegetation. Second one is the land. Third one is the waters, the drinking water. And the fourth one is the skies, the heavens. Fifth one, we have evil. The sixth one, we have evil opposing evil. And of course, you've got 17. The seventh one is the kingdom being declared. What does that look like to you? Now we want to look. We want, we want to put our fingers on number two and say, "Oh, this is God punishing evil in the Book of Revelation by doing this." We can't do that. Premillennialists will do that all day long, and we'll talk about that next week. Can't do that. You can't do that and stay in, and stay consistent with Revelation. Besides, chapters seven and eight, or chapters eight and nine, are so symbolic. I'm not sure you'll ever figure out a specific thing that God did to punish evil, to make them repent, that would be synonymous to mountains being cast into the sea, trees and grass being burned. The best we can do, the best I know to do with the book of Revelation chapter 8 is just to say that at the end of chapter 9, we know all this was done to get repentance out of the villain of the book of Revelation. Whatever God did in His providence, and however we define that, whatever God was doing, He was trying to get get repentance. We know that from chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. What God literally did in these people's lives to try to bring about repentance... Don't know. Don't know. But chapter 9 indicates that chapter 8 and 9 were spent trying to get these guys to repent. And, and at the end of chapter 9 it says, and they still did not repent after all of this punishment, after all these things that God tried to do to get them to, to repent. That's why these chapter, this, These two chapters are so hard. They're, they're so symbolic I don't even know how to make a tie between the end of chapter 9 and what's taking place in chapter 8. Anyone have a comment on that? Fire away. God gave the villain room to repent through whatever punishment it was symbolic by these things happening. One thing that did come to mind though, have you ever heard someone say, I have, I have moved heaven and earth for you and you still, whatever. You still are, aren't thankful. You still don't care. You still don't whatever. When I look at vegetation and land and water and heavens and evil, causing evil to punish evil. That's that's the phrase that actually comes to my mind. God is saying, I have moved heaven and earth trying to get you to repent and you still did not repent. That's as close as I can get to putting my finger on something that God actually did based upon this, these symbols. But even that's not Even that's not going far enough to satisfy your curiosity of exactly what God was doing in these people's lives. This gets back to the providence of God. Can you explain the providence of God? Well, a little bit maybe. But how it all works, how the providence of God works, how it works in our lives isn't always easy to explain. It's not always easy to see. Wait, before I get off of that, any comment on that? You see how hard this is, right? My brain hurts. This, this is not easy. Yeah. Rollback of Genesis, that's interesting. Yeah, and that brings up, brings up another point too. I think one of the points that God is making here is, hey, I am God of it all. I am God of all creation. I can do whatever I want to with whatever I want to. Now, how that applies to the way God punished these people, how He tried to get them to repent that chapter 9 talks about, don't know. There's no clear, there's, there's no clear connection to me. It is interesting that God is allowing evil to punish evil. We're going to hit that again in chapter 17 with the Ten Kings. But throughout the book of Revelation, evil is allowed to to punish evil. True, true. We don't have time to go through the Old Testament though, but yeah, you're right. You're right, that applies to the Old Testament probably applies to the New Testament too, most likely. But I know it applies to, um, to the book of Revelation. Here's, a, here's one example. Yeah. And then in chapter 17, there's yet another example. The seven angels with seven trumpets. Wow. That's, that's tough. Now, next week, we're going to show you what the, what the premillennialists do to this. And that gets really interesting. Okay, let's keep going. Chapter 9, verse 4 says, And it was commanded to them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor anything, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. We're talking about God's dominion. God is in control of everything, He has control over the demons. We know that from the New Testament for sure. He can get the demons to fight the demons. He can get the evil to fight the evil. He can get the evil to punish the evil. I suspect that even happens today. Ooh, We know it happened. We know that that God has control over evil, the the, the demons, because look at the book of Job. He told told Satan, you can do this, but you cannot do that. And that's exactly what, what Satan did. We know he has dominion over punishment. And we know that he uses evil to punish evil. Boy, this, this, these chapters are hard. I, don't, I really don't know where else to go with these. Okay. Here is our mention of the altar. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound by the great river Euphrates. What is the significance from the Old Testament about the horns of the altar? Now, I know the priests would rub the blood of the, of the sacrifice on the horns, but there's something else interesting about the horns. What, what was a, a rule about the horns of the altar in the Old Testament? Here's your Old Testament quiz. Right, that's it. it. If you committed murder, or if you were guilty of some crime that was a capital offense, you could run to the altar, grab hold of one of the horns, and you were safe. Well, unless it was King Solomon after you, and then he would run you through with a sword there in the tabernacle, of course, or the temple. That's right. But look in the book of Revelation. Let's go back. The horns of the altar are getting in on the punishment of the villain of the book of Revelation. What does that mean? There's an old song. Matter of fact, it's featured in the movie The Warriors, if you've ever seen The Warriors. Old song recorded back, I don't know how long ago it was, 70s, 60s? They had a phrase in there that says, nowhere to run to, baby, nowhere to hide. If the horns of the altar are getting in on, on this punishment, there is nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to run to and nowhere to hide. There's nowhere you can go that's safe from the wrath of God for, if you're evil. Um, I believe it, it was 1 Kings chapter 1 and chapter 2 where Adonijah and Joab. They went, they ran to the, they were running away from Solomon. They went and grabbed the horns, and I believe Solomon killed both of them, did he not? I know he killed one of them. But in Revelation, there are no horns to the altar. There's no no safe place to go. You cannot get away from the wrath of God. In fact, if you remember in chapter 6, we were talking about evil was asking for the mountains to come fall upon them to hide them from the wrath of God because it was so severe. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, chapters 8 and 9 are quote-unquote plagues. God's punishment, whatever that meant to to the villain of the book of Revelation... Yet repented not of their works of their hands that they should not worship devils and demons, and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone, and of wood, which neither can see nor hear, nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. The words repented not are said four times about the villain of the book of Revelation. And it's mentioned one other time in um, chapter 2. Jezebel, you remember in Thyatira, the woman named Jezebel, God said, I gave her room to repent, and she repented not as well. Repenting is a major theme of the book of Revelation. God is trying to get people to repent. He's not trying to destroy them. He's trying to get them to repent. How God goes about doing that in the providence of God... There, that, that, that's, that's a whole other class. How that actually works, I'm not sure we actually understand it completely. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.